Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphomet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. From the hinterlands, concealed by fog, broadcasting live from 1150 AM KKNW in Seattle and streaming worldwide at nightdrift.com. This is an interview series about the unknown and our relationship to it. We are presented by the audio documentary Euphemet, a podcast available wherever you listen to them. Here we commune and wander through the big wonder with guests who are thinkers, explorers, experiencers of the phenomena that is on the edge of it all, at the intersection of society and strange. This is Night Drift, and I'm Jim Perry. Tonight, Andrew Drool is the publisher of Strange Days, a zine on all sorts of Fortean topics. He's joining us to preview his latest edition, that's issue 10. Also, Night Drift Liminal reporter Bex Atwood is here. We'll be looking back at almost 40 weeks of WUFO, nearly 40 Wednesdays with people from all over the world, necks craned, heads turned up towards the sky watching for UFOs, experimenting, meditating, divinating, and more on that in just a minute. And like many, you can join the conversation through email, even after the fact. You can reach me, you can reach back into time, you can get onto your email machine and hit me up at jim at euphemet.com. And of course, use hashtag nightdrift on Twitter. You know, you, you know, you can also send me a voicemail now. You can send me a voice message through this awesome website. Just go to sayhi.chat slash euphemet or find the link in the show notes and listen, share your story. So actually tonight we're going to just get right into it. Let's bring on Bex Atwood. Bex, welcome back to Night Drift. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you for joining us, Liminal Reporter. Uh, tonight we're going to be looking at a very specific event that has been a big part of your life for now 37 weeks. That's WUFO. Uh, first of all, before we get into it, before I congratulate you too, too much for you know this extended experiment, really, uh, what is it and how did it come about? Sure. So WUFO, it's our fun way, our abbreviation of sorts for Wednesday night UFO watch. Uh, we started this back in January and it was kind of our solution to being so lonely and separated during the pandemic. And we mm. have all these weird friends online that we interact with, but we wanted to do something together as a group. Um, now we had a friend by the name of Maitland Kelly who uh, let us know on Twitter that John Keel's Mothman Prophecies mentions that the uh, most likely time that one has a seen a UFO is in fact at 10 p.m. on a Wednesday. So it. myself and the guys at Liminal Earth, we kind of took it and ran with it like we do and <laughs> created a whole virtual watch party out of it. And, you know, it started just with us all looking up and, and sharing pictures. And now we have uh, three shows technically back to back at East Coast show, a, a live contact session where we actually try to reach out to extraterrestrials or perform weird experiments that are parallel to that. And then we have the West Coast show. So it's, it's come a long way. Well, that show is really fun. You guys had me on, uh, the, you know, last week and it was a blast and uh, it's very interactive. It's very communal. I suppose that's kind of like at the heart of what this thing is, is that at the end of the day, you're experimenting, you're looking up to the sky, you're doing side quests in which I want to ask you about all of these things. But at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of people kind of together uh, doing this. And that builds a sense of community. It builds a sense of space uh, for, for, for this kind of pursuit. How does that feel to have with Liminal Earth as a part of Liminal Earth to have created a space like this? It feels like the dream, right? Because I think one of the um, weirdest feelings that you can get in doing this kind of work is feeling like you're shouting into a void and you're oh, just yeah. viewing yeah. nonsense. And so this kind of uh, is like a full circle for that because it's, you know, all of these people who would otherwise only be connected through, you know, Twitter and the internet, uh, we now all have things that we share in common. We all have stuff that we can look 
forward to and work on together. And it's not like we're just talking heads saying, oh, look at our show, join our show, buy our stuff. It's like, well, no, we want you to come on. We want you to tell us what you're doing for your Rufo. And we want you to join us in our weird experiments. Um, and I, I think that's a really important thing that we all kind of need right now. And, and that community is um, something I wouldn't trade for the world, though. Yeah, well said. Well, what have people been seeing during the Sky Watches? You know what? It's been wild. Um, there for a while, we were like, do we even care <laughs> if people see anything? This is just like our, our fun <laughs> thing that we're doing. Um, but what do you know? Uh, within, I would say, at least 15 weeks, and we started getting reports from, from fellow woofers, if you will. Um, one of our friends, our mutual friends, Darcy Stanifor, uh, tweeted us and said that uh, she saw something very high in the sky moving very fast. Um, it was not a plane, it was not a satellite, nor was it a shooting star. Um, we have Alex Folop who came and had a sighting during the day. Mm. And they found like this anomalous shape in the sky that appeared and disappeared. Um, you have our very own Garrett Kelly with Liminal Earth and uh, he saw what he thought at first was a bright star, um, but it ended up not being so. Um, and the movement he had just never seen before in his life. And then I actually had an experience too right before I left Washington. And it was more of an intersectional, is it Bigfoot or is it UFO? While I was doing my 10 p.m. watch. And that was in the form of a bright flashing light in this inaccessible part of this cliffside in the woods. And so um, very interesting activity, but you know, it's, it's kind of like the cherry on top for us. Uh, we just didn't expect <laughs> to actually see anything, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. And I think it's a good way to go about some of this stuff is maybe not go in thinking you're going to see anything at all, you know, probably, you know, sort of um, have leveled expectations, but at the same time, be completely open open your heart up uh, to what could be. And sometimes the mystery embraces that, right? And I think you're seeing that the community is seeing that. And what's really awesome is when you, you mentioned that, you know, this is WUFO, right? Like UFO is in the name, yet people are starting to experience that strange intersection of where things get really, well, uh, Fordian, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how, how, do you, how do you think... Wufo um, has the potential to, uh, you know, show people that there is more to to something like the UFO phenomenon potentially. Do you think that's that's a possibility here? Absolutely. Um, I see it all the time uh, when people are using our Wufo hashtag on Twitter and Instagram. You'll see people from UFO Twitter popping in and be like. Can someone please explain to me what hashtag Wufo is? And then you'll have some of our, our friends and our fellow Wufovers come and give them the spiel. And a lot of the times they're like, oh, this is cool and different. So I think what we provide is like a fresh take on the whole situation of like, hey, we're not going to sit here and like argue till our, you know, faces turn blue. Um, we don't participate in the whole like, is it nuts or bolts, any definitive, you know, perspectives, it's all very fluid. It's all very what if and very like researchy, experimental, but open ended. And I think that that's uh, really important. <laughs> Dude, it's so drama free. And that's one of the, Absolutely. <laughs> one of the things I like about it. It is, it's a very fun place for people to come and, uh, and just think weird, you know? Right. Um, it, and, and speaking of that, you know, sky watching isn't it isn't the only element at play here for Wafu and if, Wufo. And in fact, uh, there's been a ton of experiments. Can can you run down like some of the experiments that you guys have done, and how quickly did this go from watching for UFOs up in the sky into divination, into mediumship, into channeling? Right. It was a very natural progression right so you know I think it came from almost a space of like we don't want to get bored in what we're doing we don't want to get like repetitive or redundant and we actually had a transmission while uh doing the Estes method one of the times I think it was around week 15 or so and um whatever we were communicating with is basically telling us that our goal should not be uh trying to communicate every week it should be uh focused on creating Oh, and wow. that struck a huge chord with us. And sure. so we were like, all right, we're experimenters. We come up with all of this, 
you know, these really weird activities with liminal earth, why not transfer that same energy into Wubo? So some of the experiments that we've done are really off the wall and, and I can't for the life of me go through every single one as much as I want to, but here's some of the highlights for you. Um, we attempted to contact orcas through live hydrophone feeds out of like Port Townsend um, after Garrett and I had witnessed orcas on the uh, Fulton Roy ferry. <laughs> Um, a lot of these are like, uh, you know, we draw inspiration from like everyday events that happen to us and we'll, we'll sure. come into my like, hey, you know, this happened, let's do this. Um, Garrett has created multiple custom spirit boxes. So uh, those SB7 scan over radio channels. Instead of that, he splices up tiny MP3 segments and uh, he's done segments from Ewoks Adventure. He's done like uh, a bunch of Christmas songs. Um, a bunch of different custom spirit boxes, and that's pretty unheard of as far as I'm aware. Um, we do oh a lot gosh. of group remote viewing and group Estes, um, so it's not just focused on us as the hosts. Uh, we are dependent on uh, people in the chat also doing the experiment and sharing their transcriptions with us, any art that they create, however they want to divine, um, and I think that's really fun. Um, <laughs> but then we also do things like create UFO shrines to try to create a more welcoming environment for the aerial entities. It's like we like to refer um, because we say we would be just as happy talking to a bird or something as we would an alien. And so we yeah. want to keep it open ended with terminology. Um, but then this is also how um, our friend, the Florophone and Coco kind of came up too. <laughs> and it was from a collective of woofers coming together and saying, wouldn't it be great if we could talk to plants? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, well, I remember doing that program with Coco and thinking, is this the best thing ever or have I just completely jumped the shark here? Have I, I lost it? Have I lost the narrative? And then... <laughs> In the middle of the conversation going like, no, no, this is exactly the right mm -hmm. kind of thing I want to work on. <laughs> and you can feel it in your gut when you listen to that episode and everyone, please go back in the feed, listen to it. Because uh, as far as we know, that's the first time in live broadcasting history where a plant is communicated on the air. And you can just feel that special energy when you listen to the episode. You know, what I thought about is I wonder if there were other plants that listened to that episode. And, and if they reacted in some sort of way, and if you could let them listen to that episode, even if it weren't live, and you could have them talk back. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Once the fluorophones are available to everyone, you need to play back euphemet for your plants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bex, before we go to a break, and before we invite Andrew in, I did get a message from a listener. And on one of the previous uh, conversations we've had on this during one of the liminal reports, we had mentioned a story or mythology around a giant kraken-like beast living under the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Yes. And we were going into this and, and talking about, you know, sort of the related UFO mystery in Maury Island. And I said, wouldn't it be cool if someone was on Tacoma Narrows Bridge right now and this portion of the segment is playing live. And no sure way. enough, I had a listener get a hold of me today and say, I was on that bridge listening to that live, and that part came up. Oh, my gosh. Dreams really do come true, Jim. <laughs> uh, it's so great. It's like I'm it's in so Disney great. World. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> every, every day this program is, well, we might get into some copyright stuff, so we're, we're not going to go Oops. there. Um <laughs> All right, we're going to take a short break here on Night Drift. I'm Jim Perry. After this, uh, Bex Atwood will continue to join us throughout the program, and we'll have Andrew Jewell from Strange Days on. But And we'll go back to Wufo as well. We've got a couple other questions I have to ask you, Bex, about that. And if we have time, maybe even talk a little bit about some recent adventures you and I were a part of. That's on Night Drift. All of times Come on, baby, don't feel the reaper. Baby, take my hand. 
follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim. A U.S. intelligence agency has removed a tongue-in-cheek logo or two from its website following news that included a flying saucer. Until early Tuesday morning, the website for the National Intelligence Manager for Aviation, which advises the head of U.S. intelligence on aviation matters, briefly sported a logo that included a Turkish drone, a Russian fighter jet, and a UFO. The agency has since removed the logo and has hardly mentioned that its purview includes all threats to aviation, presumably including possible ETs. This is Night Drift. I'm Jim Perry. Andrew Jewell is a writer, filmmaker, and publisher of Strange Days, a self-published Fordian-themed zine. It's full of original stories, essays, and first-hand accounts about the strange and unusual things around us. Stories of ghosts, UFOs, men in black, cryptids, exorcists, and more. It also features the work of many great photographers, writers, Andrew being one of them. Volume 10 was just released. Andrew, thanks so much for coming back on Night Drift, my man. Hey, Jim, it is a pleasure as always. Thank you for having me. Well, congrats on 10 issues. I think firstly, I I just want to ask you, how do you feel looking back at that run you have had? It's kind of, uh, yeah, it's kind of insane. I don't, I never, there was, as I've talked about on the show previously, there was never a plan when I started making Strange Days. So there was definitely not a moment in the early days of all of this where I ever thought that I would release you know, more than a couple, let alone 10 issues. So it feels <laughs> pretty great and kind of like, it, yeah, I mean, so, some days I'm like, wow, who's buying this thing? And in other days I'm like, man, I know the coolest people who are supporting this project. So, and it, it is mostly that feeling. So yeah, it, it, it feels, it feels pretty great. Thank you very much for asking. Yeah, of course, man. Raymond Palmer with tattoos. This is great. <laughs> uh, awesome. I love when we just we just end up doing a, like, oh, I'm the new Fate magazine. I didn't even know this would happen. Right. This is right. great. Um, listen, the issue 10 is is really great, man. Thank um, you. I've, I've, what's great about this is it comes in the mail. I take a second. I sit down. 
and I'll read through half of it right away. And then I'll leave the, the other half for later. And uh, I'll discover it later. And I'll pick it up and I'll read the second half. But what's great about it is if you want to, you can sit down and read the whole thing while you're having a cup of coffee or whatever in the morning. Um, I, I love the format. It's great. And the stories this time were really interesting. They were very um, eclectic as usual. But there was like some real uh, emotional stories too, in a way. There was like a, a, a really great kind of human interest story uh, that I'll ask about in, in a second. But, you know, kind of uh, going off of my news introduction about uh, <laughs> the government agency, which included right. a UFO in the logo. Um, which I'm obsessing over, obviously. I'm, okay, I'm sure okay, you could so, have assumed. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, give me your take. I mean, it's just so on the nose, right? Like for the, for, it was just, it was so funny to watch everyone. I've just been enjoying the reactions from people, I guess. Like I've just <laughs> yeah. been enjoying the reactions from UFO Twitter and, and people on the other dark corners of the internet where I find myself reading comments about things like that really late at night when I should probably be doing something more productive. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I just think it's so, it's so... Like it's just so on the nose, right? For the for just the whole for the way it was removed and and the way it's just like, of course this is what, yeah. of course this is yeah. how it went down in 2022 when we've had all of this other sort of quote unquote soft disclosure or whatever. It's just uh, it's it, I just find it very very funny. Now, something that a lot of people don't know about you, maybe they do if they read Strange Days, but if you're listening to this program, maybe Andrew's new to you. I don't think we've talked about it much on this program. We definitely go into it during your Euphemet feature and with some of the other stuff that we've worked on together that has not seen light of day yet. But uh, you're a former MUFON investigator. Can you tell me a little bit about that part of your life and and how that kind of helps inform what you're doing with Strange Days now or or not? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was, you know, something I did. I, I became a certified MUFON field investigator did it for a little under two years, not a terribly long time, but it was something that I sort of realized that, you know, if anybody who had the time to dedicate to do the work required to get certified could then become a field investigator. So I kind of did it <laughs> selfishly for one. The main reason I did it was, well, A, I, wa I wanted to know what the inner workings of MUFON looked like, and I wanted to know how they trained their field investigators. And I was curious to see what sort of cases worked they were receiving on a regular basis. But I have to be honest in saying that I mainly did it to to gain access to their database. And not, so I could just look through that freely sure. or as freely. I mean, I guess I can't say f with certainty that that was their entire database that I had access to. Well, I know it wasn't some things that are, they're still working on digitizing some things, but who knows what is doesn't make it up into the database that hundreds, right. if not thousands of field investigators have access to. But uh, yeah, it was interesting. I, I I live in New York City. I live in Brooklyn. And so I was getting cases from New York City areas, also a little bit upstate north of the city into the Catskills. And I had some, um, I had a couple of interesting cases. I, I, you know, I had most of the cases I had, I think all of them except for one um, over the course of 20 months or 20 something months, um, I was able to come up with some sort of terrestrial um, theory to the, as to what the person was reporting, reported having seen or experienced. But there was one really uh, compelling case that you and I have talked about a little bit that um, was a, was a guy kind of North of New York city who was seeing something um, over the long Island sound on the Connecticut side. And he was seeing it repeatedly and he had a friend who cooperated this and they, they both reached out to me at separate times talking about this thing they were seeing hovering in the sky, this huge craft looking thing. And um, when I was digging up, when I was kind of digging around a bit with that story, I found, um, I found a John Keel case that was like super similar that ha took place in the same area, just happened to be, you know, 28 years prior <laughs> to the case that had come my way. So that one was like the most intriguing one for me. Um, and I, and I have followed up with that guy since and, and had some conversations, but yeah, you know, MUFON was just sort of like case comes in, you know, you kind of uh, look to see, okay, like 
Where was ISS? Where was Starlink? I mean, so many, so many people think that they're having some sort of crazy sighting when they see like the Starlink satellites streaking across the sky in, in a row. Um, and it was, it was a lot of that kind of stuff or drones, you know, a lot of yeah. people seeing drones and that sort of thing, but it was cool. And I, and it didn't, yeah. And it helped me, it helped me, you know, there was a, a, a scientific, um, aspect to the, the investigator training that I really appreciated and, and took, you know, some, some, uh, exercising some muscles of my brain that I wasn't usually exercising when I mm. was delving into these things, um, you know, actually getting into, you know, mathematics and science and geometry and things, which was really interesting. And yeah, it's sort of, it's, you know, I've carried some of that stuff with me and especially, you know, when I'm, when I'm kind of digging through cases and, and looking for source material for new issues of strange days, looking for interesting stories, I feel like I have a pretty good, you know, a, a pretty good, um, idea of the things that can sort of be weeded out pretty quickly as, you know, something that might not be an authentic, um, UFO sighting in the sense sure. that we think of it or, or like that. So yeah, it's, it's definitely been helpful. And, you know, I, I left cause it just wasn't, it would just, I became busy with other things like strange days and doing personal investigations. And it just made more sense for me to, to look into this stuff on my own, but I, I am glad that I got to experience, you know, what that, that organization is like and, and how they handle their, their investigations. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it has to just help inform what your perspective is. I don't think there's any way that it can't. Um, and I'm glad you brought up that story. That's a great tease for UFOMET listeners because there's going to be a feature that we've been working on, John and I, for the last couple of months now uh, with our adventure into the Hudson Valley uh, to try to connect or not. You'll get to experience what we experienced off the back of you know, Andrew's investigation, uh, his earlier investigation. So I'm really totally. excited for um, you to hear that and, and Andrew, for you to hear it too. It's coming out really great. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Well, um, okay, let's get into the issue. Uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, just like that logo on the, you know, sort of government agency, one of the other things that was really sort of um, taking over UFO Twitter and the UFO community at large, it was uh, this photo that appeared, this mysterious photo that right. previously was uh, in possession of the Ministry of Defense. Can you tell us a little bit about this case and this story? Yeah. So, I mean, this story is great. And I feel like I had this wasn't something that I was terribly familiar with before the news broke. Um, before this photo was leaked recently, I think I had, I had read about the case at one point in a book somewhere, but um, yeah, so this is, this is a story that, ha or uh, an event that happened in 1990. So a little over 30 years ago in Scotland. And um, these two, two young men uh, were, they worked in at a restaurant. They were, they worked in the kitchen at a restaurant and they were out after a, their shift one night, taking a walk, smoking some cigarettes. And they were out near a national park um, in Scotland. And while they were out just having, you know, just met, uh, it, actually, I said night. It wasn't night. It was daytime, but it was post shift for them. So while they were out, they just happened to notice in the sky this huge, huge diamond shaped object. They said that uh, they estimated it to be over 100 feet long. And they didn't really know what they were looking at and it kind of caught them off guard. So they sort of hid into the bushes and they kind of watched this object for a minute when all of a sudden um, a Royal Air Force RAF Harrier jet buzzed by overhead and it, it, it passed the craft that they had been watching. And then all of a sudden, a few moments later, it came back. It kind of did a U-turn and came back and buzzed by the object again. And as they were watching that unfold, one of them happened to have a 35 millimeter camera with them. And they thought to pop their head out of the bushes and, and snap a couple of frames with their camera of this object. And so I think they shot, it's, it's, I think they, uh, they shot like six frames. They got the negatives developed, took them to a local paper and said, Hey, you know, we have this sighting. Um, you should print this. You, you wait till you see these photos. You should print these. The paper, instead of, running with the story, they decided to call the Ministry of Defense. Um, basically, the, U the Ministry of Defense used to have like a UFO division. So they call the Ministry of Defense. 
they come in, uh, they interview the two men, they confiscate the negatives, um, confiscate some photos that have been printed from the negatives, and they have been in possession of them ever since. And the men never came out publicly. Ministry of Defense never released any information about this case publicly, not the photos, not the names of the men. It was, you know, very, they, they, just didn't release anything. And now 30 years have passed. And that's the typical amount of time for a classified uh, document in the Ministry of Defense to become uh, declassified. And that didn't happen with this case. The photos were not declassified. The names of the men weren't declassified. In fact, they extended it and they said that um, all that information is going to remain sealed for at least another 50 years due to quote unquote privacy concerns. Meanwhile, there one of the uh, one of the I think he was a lieutenant, uh, one of the RAF officers um, who was who was working on behalf of the ministry, who questioned the men. He this entire time had had a copy or had one of the printed photos that he had confiscated. He kept it for himself. He didn't hand it over to the ministry when he handed over the negatives and the other photos. And it was like in an envelope in his desk for the last 30 years. And this uh, this author who kind of broke this story open, um, he got in touch with, and I'm, I'm that, that uh, writer's name is escaping me. Oh, Clark. His name is Craig, or not. Uh, D- uh, David Clark. David Clark. Sorry. Yeah. Um, my brain is full of so much information sometimes it's hard to uh, put it in a linear sequence but david clark broke this story and he had been looking into this case for years and he finally got in touch with uh craig Lindsay, who was the raf officer and Lindsay was like i've been waiting for someone to come around and ask about this case i've had this photo in my desk all this time and like i'm ready to release it so he handed it over um and you know and he went on record he he allowed uh you know his name to be to be published in this story. So all of a sudden this photo is released and it's great. I mean, it's a fantastic photo. You can, you can, a quick Google search will, will bring it up. Um, it's the Calvine. Is that, do you think that's how you say it? Calvine? Uh, not, uh, not certain. I don't know. I'm not sure. C-A-L-V-I-N-E uh, is a UFO photo, but also if you have the newest issue of strange days, the photo isn't there, and it's a very, very impressive photo of this diamond-shaped UFO with a jet, like a uh, a military jet, kind of buzzing by it. And it's pretty wild. Very much so, and uh, it must be—I don't know—for for the witnesses, it, there must be some liberation for their story to to finally come out. I'm sure there were conversations potentially with with folks that maybe just didn't even believe them about Absolutely. what they what they saw. Uh, Bex, this is a situation that when you deal with reports uh, and the experiencer, um, the, the experiencer, uh, I don't how how would you classify it best? Maybe the experiencer situation, whereas sometimes there isn't incredible uh, documentation or photography or uh, proof of what people had seen. In this case, there really was, yet it was behind lock and key forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're like, why? It's such a beautiful photograph. And you're looking at it. I'm looking at it right now. I have actually this incredible zine right in front of me, the exact issue we're talking about, in fact. And um, I mean, you're, I'm looking at this photograph and, and you can clearly see the jet. And, and uh, my immediate thought is like, to be the pilot there, <laughs> to see this, there's multiple right. perspectives happening. And I think that that's something that we forget when we're looking at these types of images, when we're hearing these kinds of reports. It's like, think of all of the different eye-level perspectives that could have seen this. Not just this one perspective that we're getting from the photo, not just David. You know, it's it's really incredible when you think about it, how many people could have seen this and, and um, that there's actually documentation of it. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic photo. I mean, it's... It's one of a of a short list of UFO photos that really feel I don't know they they sort of just strike a sense of awe within me that I'm just like wow like yeah and and I you know to to consider what you just said Bex like 
what did that look like for that pilot? I just can't, I actually can't even fathom what that must've looked like for, for them. Right. Right. Well, if you want that photo in print, it is included in Strange Days 10. You can get that right now. You can go to strangedayszine.com for more information on that. Um, it it's, uh, gives it a whole new sort of level of validation when you see it on a printed page uh, as opposed to just seeing it online. So I definitely encourage you to, to have that experience at home. Um, an, another, uh, <laughs> another story related to uh, printed uh, material is this story about a woman who receives 60-year-old postcards uh, from a very particular set of people. Can you tell us a little bit about this story? Yeah, this one is so cool. I really, when I came across this, I thought it was, it's just truly high strangeness at its finest. It's just inexplicable and very unique. Um, this woman who who lives um, in upstate New York, uh, her name is Carol uh, Hoover. She, in in April of this year, goes out to check her mail like she does, you know, a few times a week, if not every day. And she's flipping through the normal things that one gets in the mailbox. And she comes across a postcard. And before she notices anything else, she immediately recognize, um, recognizes the handwriting of the postcard. And it's it's a, a postcard that her mother wrote. It was very obvious to her oh my in the moment. Turns out that Carol's mother passed away about eight, eight and a half years ago. So she was obviously caught off guard and, and sort of was just like, what, it, you know, yeah. it, trying to compute what this is. And it turns out oh, that it was man. a postcard that her mother had sent um, while her mom and her dad were on their honeymoon over 60 years ago. I mean, we're talking, you know, oh better gosh. part of a lifetime ago. Yeah. And the, this postcard, they, the, her mom and dad, Carol, this woman, I don't even think was born yet, or if she was, she was a very small child. But her, this, this postcard was sent by her mom from her mom and dad's honeymoon to her home, which was her childhood childhood home. She, the, uh, Carol currently lives in the house that her parents lived in and the house that she grew up in. So she inherited that house. So her mom had sent the postcard back to their house, uh, presumably for whoever was staying there and taking care of the house while they were on their honeymoon. So she's sort of, you know, confounded by this whole thing. And she goes to the post office to ask them about it. And they're like, yeah, we don't know where that came from, but we got like a box of these in the back for you, basically not a box, but (laughs) several more, like four more, I think postcards, all spanning like from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, from Canada, from New York City, from France, from London. They just ha- all of a sudden these postcards reappear into the material world and oh, are man. now appearing at this woman's house or you know in her hands from from the the folks at the post office. Then it gets even stranger when she she I, you know just can't figure out what this is. The, you know, the post office can't offer a logical explanation. And it's so, you know, it's, it's so interesting because the postcards came from various places. They weren't, it wasn't like a whole bunch of them that were dropped in the mailbox at once that all got lost together. These, these were postcards that were sent, de- uh, you know, a decade apart from different sides of the world. And all of a sudden they all reappear around the same time. And so I think she posted about it on Facebook and her, a cousin of hers who lives in the Midwest in Minnesota says, Hey, you're not going to believe this, but I just got a postcard from 1983 that showed up in my mailbox. So two people <laughs> in the same family. Uh, and the one, the one that her cousin received was postmarked um, in Ireland and it was sent to a home that she no longer lived in, but the people who did live there knew where she was. So they forwarded it to her. So these are two <laughs> women from the same family that are all of a sudden getting these phantom postcards in the mail with no explanation. And I don't, it's just a really, really cool story of high strangeness. And and the best part is, is it, you know, yeah, instead of being weirded out by the whole thing, the woman Carol was like, Hey, it was kind of great. You know, my mom passed away eight years ago to get a postcard in the mail from her. It was like kind of, you know, a heartwarming experience. So really wild story. You also mentioned that 
she was uninterested in finding out how this is happening. Right. Right. Yeah. That, she was. Yeah. She kind of just wanted to leave it at like putting a smile on her face and like she. Yeah. That she didn't really care. <laughs> That's so amazing. And I think a story we can all learn a little from, you know, something from. Um, we have to take another short break here on Night Drift. Uh, just think about that story a little bit while uh, we're going through some ads and, and this break. And think about how awesome it is to just kind of resign yourself to maybe not knowing and maybe just being okay with that. And I think a quality of that is trusting in that magic and seeing how that feels. We'll be right back with more on Wufo and Strange Days here on Night Drift right after this. Jim Perry is taking your calls at 425-373-5527 or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-KKNW-5569. Cascades to the rest of the world. Lines are open. Call 425-373-5527 or toll free in Western Washington, 888-298-5569. That's 888-298-KKNW. This is Night Drift. I'm Jim Perry. And that is Bex's official theme song. (laughs) I was dancing. You know it. (laughs) Uh, I'm joined here by Liminal Investigator Bax Atwood and Andrew Jewell of Strange Days. Listen, this is a fun show. It's an easy show for me. I've slept on both of their couches. 
So <laughs> that's this makes this an easy swing. Um, listen, uh, Bex, let's go back to Wufo. L- let's let's close out with some with some remarks on that and what can be the future there for that. Um, which I hope there's a long future for it, but I'm going to ask you that as um, as as a, you know in a hopeful matter. Um, but but first, what have been some of the most surprising? you know, or startling, mysterious things that have happened over the course of these 37, 38 weeks? Ooh, you know, what's funny about WUFO is that there's such a diversity in those types of events. It's hard to narrow it down and it's hard to pick them out. It's almost like you have to pick out of a bag or a hat. Um, So I'll attempt to do that. Um, One that I think was really interesting was after you, me, and Garrett went to this Men in Black event, um, we went to this campsite, uh, had a bit of a fire, did a live Estes method session, um, and we experienced some really interesting phenomenon that I had never experienced before, um, and it could be some you know, natural, uh, excuse me, natural phenomenon that we're not aware of. Um, but do you remember when the sky was changing colors? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Do I ever. That was incredible. Um, yeah, it, it changed into a dark red, right? Mm-hmm. And then like a, like a purpley green type situation. And we almost were like, are there, it's like Aurora Borealis tonight. Like what's going on? <laughs> it was dramatic. And I think the timing of it felt apropos. Uh, we were getting really deep into a session. And um, I do want to go back for a second. When you say that we are coming from a men in black event, that is not, you know, that is not an admission of us being a part of such a group. I was going right. to say, are y'all doing meetups with men in black? <laughs> right. I've said too this, much already. This, this was a community <laughs> event celebrating the history of the men in black in their first appearance in the Pacific Northwest. Um, But anyway, yes, Bex, I remember that. And that night was filled with strange occurrences that has, have seemed to continue to echo in some fashion, right? Um, Hasn't there been situation with cats? Yeah, absolutely. Um, (laughs) What's interesting is that night we had a ton of people flood our hashtag WUFO hashtag on Twitter and um, like Instagram and things, all claiming that they were having dreams about cats, um, that they had had mysterious encounters with cats that evening during their sessions. Um, but what's really interesting is we did as well. Um, that night at the campsite, we were starting to gather things and a white cat came and walked through our campsite and we were kind of in the middle of nowhere and it was this very beautiful, clean cat. And we were like, okay, this is really interesting. But I don't think that it really quite like snowballed significance until we hopped online later and we're like, oh, we're not the only ones. What's going on? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And there's also been like sort of some technology mishaps that have happened as a part of this that is a little bit more out of the realm of normality as opposed to just sort of the normal tech stuff that occurs, right? Absolutely. And I do believe in a past night drift, we did share it like right after it happened, but I'm happy to touch on it again. Um, During like the first live contact session, my ring light was uh, going on and off. Um, And it was a really interesting phenomenon where I thought someone was walking in front of it and blocking it Um, over my eye mask. I I noticed that change um, and was pretty startled when I saw that, you know, it was was nothing, but kind of shook it off. Um, But then that night, um, I was awoken by my dogs freaking out and that light flickering in my kitchen. But then my laptop was also completely closed but had like a, a YouTube video playing somehow. And I don't watch YouTube <laughs> videos on a computer like that. Wow. Um, but, you know, then you started to experience the activity when we discussed it. Um, and then another podcast host had very similar activity when they asked about it. And you notice I'm we, asking you this question at the very end of the show, right? I do. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I'm like, well, this is a long story, Jim, but uh, short no, to that's say, okay. anytime we mention it, it starts to happen again. And it even happened in like a public place with witnesses. So that was really incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it it's not happening tonight, and we're going to be able to close out the show um, gracefully, I think. Uh, Bex, <laughs> where can people find more information about WUFO? How can they be a part of it? Sure. All you got to do is go to 
wufo.watch um, and it has all of the information you need to get started. Check that menu. I mean, we have posts every week. We have a lot of participants creating uh, different sections and things. Um, and then you can also just check our hashtag wufo across the board there. Um, it's every Wednesday night. East Coast show starts at 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern. Nope, excuse me, Pacific, my bad. 10 p.m. Eastern, perfect WUFO time. And also, you, you've been doing uh, shows with our mutual friend, Katie, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that uh, real quick? Yes, and that's, what's funny is I'm going to hop into a little Zoom with her. We're doing a little pre-show right after this. Uh, but <laughs> uh, periodically, quote unquote, when we feel like it, um, we do like a we call a cable access show for the internet and it's Katie and Bex live. Uh, but it started out with us just doing a bunch of psychic experiments, divination, um, and we decided we wanted to start sharing it with people. So uh, that's how that show has grown. Now we have guests um, and, and we're actually gonna be having Mackenzie Bartlett on, a horror filmmaker, uh, I believe from Maine, and we're gonna be uh, discussing her work and uh, we're gonna be watching some of it tonight here in just a bit for patrons. Um, but the show's really fun, uh, and, and I love chatting with Katie and, and kind of uh, exposing both of our friend groups to each other. <laughs> love it. I love it so much, and everyone should check that out. And Andrew, where can people find more about Strange Days in your work? You can find us on social media at Strange Days Zine or at uh, the web address strangedayszine.com. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys, for being on the show, my friends. And thank you for listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk KKNW 1150 AM Seattle. You can hear the show anytime on its podcast feed wherever you listen to them. Go to euphemet.com for more. And as always, join us next Sunday. Until then, keep looking up. Follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.